Well, I hope you're having a good day wherever you are and whatever time it is where you are. Uh, today we're going to be talking about social media, uh, sort of this desensitization that is occurring uh, within people, within our, our, our bodies, um, within our experience around us, our relationships, all this sort of stuff, um, and as well as a little bit of cultural decline and how all of these things are sort of uh, intermingled, interlinked, interconnected um, as we look at this social media question and, and a little bit of the technological question that's that's we're faced with right now is, you know, is, is our relationship with social media unhealthy? How is it playing into sort of the sense-making crisis and the meaning crisis, as we talked about in previous episodes, because these things are connected. And when we're, when we're looking at humanity's overall predicament, like what is happening and how do we solve so much of, of what is going on <clears throat> in a healthy way, um, we have to look at all of these things because they're connected in, in some way or another. And the more we look at these different things, right, which is what we're trying to do here, the more we kind of gain insight and awareness into how we might be able to uh, reapproach some of the challenges that we face with a little bit of a, of a wiser or more strategic understanding because if there's one thing that's kind of missing in our general society right now, it's uh, it's this feeling of wisdom and this feeling of sort of spirit and sacredness to some extent. And uh, I think it's important to talk about how we can how we can get back there a little bit. And uh, no doubt this discussion plays into that because social media has become something that um, while it can be a very useful tool, has sort of hijacked our minds, our consciousness, and our way of being in a big way. And it doesn't mean we necessarily need to run completely away from it. Uh, there are ways to use it in, in a much healthier way. But I really want to talk about how this story is playing into our um, our existing moment of trying to figure out what's going on. Because, um, you know, we're seeing this sort of, I can't watch content unless it's like 15 seconds, or otherwise I'm getting bored. Or I, I can't click on an article unless the headline is really, really dramatic and shocking and breaking news and this, that, whatever. Um, and how we've become sort of desensitized and everything seems boring unless it's really, really grabby. And there's obviously a, a big challenge there that, uh, that needs to come to our awareness. Uh, I want to quickly mention, as we talk about this, right, we're, we're talking about desensitization, we're talking about um, sort of being hijacked uh, in our minds and in our consciousness. Uh, I want to note that on November 28th, 2022, I'm going to be relaunching my Five Days of You Challenge. Uh, originally launched way back in 2012, um, many, many, many thousands of people have taken it over the course of time, and I've been improving it and, and uh, making it a, a really strong challenge uh, to sort of explore yourself is really what it is. It explores, you know, aspects of your mind, your habits, your your state of being, uh, your wellness in a sense. And through that, um, typically this challenge produces a, a really, really deep connection with, with self in just five days. And I'm going to be re relaunching that. Haven't done a launch of this, I believe, since about 2017 or 2018, maybe. So it's been quite a while and uh, I've been wanting to re-release it, just never made the time to do it. But it's going to be happening November 28th, 2022. So if anything within this episode or any of the previous episodes has excited you to explore aspects of yourself a little further, you know, definitely keep note of this. You can sign up to our email list uh, and I'll be kind of mentioning more clearly when this challenge is coming out. But with that said, I want to begin this one with a quote like one of the previous episodes. The real problem of humanity is the following. We have Paleolithic emotions, medieval institutions, and godlike technology. And this comes from Dr. E.O. Wilson. So what stands out to me in this particular quote is sort of this touch on these various aspects of human beings, right? If we're talking about medieval institutions, for example, it's almost like we have these institutions that are not necessarily super evolved and can be very heavy handed and uh, may not take into consideration the totality of a human being and, and the spirit of a human and the emotions of a human and really seek to empathize with that. Um, instead, it just, boom, let's just 
go ahead and take out whatever the problem is uh, in, in an aggressive way without really caring to understand how it's interconnected into a lot of different ways. And of course, when we're talking about paleolithic emotions, I believe he's sort of touching upon um, sort of these very primal emotions that, that humans have. And, and perhaps we don't have a sense of emotional mastery as well. And therefore, those primal emotions can be uh, manipulated very easily. Uh, they could be they could be something that makes our experience very beautiful, but also something that we can be manipulated through. And so to solve that is almost this deep awareness that, that needs to come. And uh, and then the godlike technology, of course, is like handing machine guns to, you know, three-year-old kids in a playground and saying, okay, have fun with this. And then, you know, being surprised when somebody kills one another, right? We, we're, we're dealing with technology that is um, perhaps beyond what humanity's wisdom is. And I say that almost tongue-in-cheek because <laughs> I think to some extent we absolutely are dealing with technologies that are beyond what our capable wisdom and emotional intelligence is as beings. And, um, and I think this is why we're, we're ending up in so many unhealthy situations with technology. So there's a, I thought this was a great quote to begin this. And, um, where I want to go with this now is just, you know, social media is obviously a public square. It is something that, you know, we utilize like it or not for a very meaningful purpose in life. And at the same time, as I say that, it has become something that is hijacking our ability to make sense of things. It is hijacking our emotions. It is hijacking our consciousness. It is hijacking our reward centers in our brain and almost making us addicted and sort of mindless and on autopilot when we use these technologies. But it is that public square. It does have that, that moment where, like it or not, we put something out online on social media and it is a way that we spread important information. Is it a way that we interact and make sense of what's happening with our world and understand what's going on around us? You know, I, I know sometimes, for example, in, in the alternative space, um, it can be like, I, you know, I, I can't believe the last two years with COVID how insane it has been and how much people have been unable to sort of come to the same understandings that I have about what's going on with COVID, right? This is a thought and a feeling a lot of people have had. And I would just ask the question, how did you even learn the alternative perspectives of what was going on with COVID? You learned probably the vast majority of it through social media. Why is there such an outrage about the, um, the censorship on social media? because people know that this provides a meaningful tool that is very important for us. And while it, it, you know, understandably so, we can argue as well that, hey, it doesn't really matter. The amount of things that we, we focus on on social media, most of them don't matter. And I think that's also true. There is a lot of distraction. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of unnecessary um, sort of engagement that we're playing with on social media, but there is a, still a deep value and a deep purpose there if we wanna make meaningful decisions in our lives and, uh, and sort of live somewhat of a modern life. I know there's a lot of people who enjoy the idea of just kind of going back to the land and just living with very, very local community. Um, and perhaps that's a life for you. But, you know, I per personally feel that as a global community, we're, we're in a modern society. We have incredible human potential. We have incredible ways of, of living and advancing uh, as a species to do incredible things in very healthy ways. Um, and I'm curious to embrace that. I'm curious to explore that and not just kind of go back to a way of life or a way of living that was, you know, way, way back thousands of years ago. Um, so to me, it's about how can we look at our technologies? How can we look at the things that we're doing and bring a different way of being, a different way of consciousness and perhaps even different incentive structures associated with those so that um, we can use them properly because there's multiple layers as to why this social media uh, problem has gotten out of control.
So one of the key things in looking at social media, not technology as a whole, but just social media, is really looking at how these algorithms are built to uh, produce mass personalization, right? So you, you almost have this performative type culture of, you know, if you're seeking, if you're the creator of content, you're, you're seeking reward through the like, through the comment, through the engagement. And, um, you know, anytime you kind of have that, 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 that reward-seeking dopamine hit of, I put out this piece of content, hey, how are people responding to it? And as that begins to wear off, we start feeling like, well, let me either find something that's gonna give me that hit on social media again, or let me post something again that might give me that hit, that might give me that response. Um, and this sort of creates this addictive sort of quality that um, when you're talking now about the personalization piece, you have this, the content I'm looking for, the people that I'm engaging with and, and, and the stuff that I'm putting out, all continues to sort of funnel down into this highly personalized echo chamber of everything that we're seeing, everything that we're exploring is typically going to continue to inform us and what we already believe and, and, and really lock in our existing uh, beliefs because the incentive structure of the way social media works is that they want people to be happy on social media and to have their attention uh, held, right? And to to make it feel like, a, a, you know, they're having this sort of addictive relationship of, you know, everything I'm seeing on here is just making me feel, in essence, like it's reconfirming how I feel and it's making me feel like I'm right all the time. So I'm going to stay on this. This is this becomes a good relationship for me, right? And this is how our consciousness and our attention sort of gets hijacked um, as we use social media. And, you know, you kind of see this when you look at, say, COVID, for example, you could certainly find on Twitter or, and I know this happened to me, for example, um, you could, if you start looking into do masks, you know, prevent COVID-19, um, you know, you could, you could start seeing that for the next like three or four days. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Here's more studies, more studies, more posts, more posts, more posts, like anything that kind of continues to confirm that reality, you'll get that until you sort of stop and do a completely different search, do masks, you know, not prevent COVID-19. And then for the next like five or six days, that's all you're going to see on your social media feed is no, they don't, no, they don't, they don't work, they don't work, right? Um, and that can continue down and down and down and down until you sort of manually disrupt the pattern and go look for something different. So the algorithm will often keep producing exactly what you think already until you sort of snap out of it, manually go start seeking different things, and then it'll just take you down that pathway for a little while. And um, this produces one of the big issues when it comes to social media and sense making, uh, relating it back to the, to the, uh, the previous episode, is that we can very easily get lost in not manually checking both sides of a discussion because um, who's going to necessarily do that when their algorithm sort of feels like it's just showing them the same thing over and over and over again. Well, that must be right. Um, and so this sort of manual disruption, it becomes necessary yet isn't done by, I don't think a whole lot of people. And when we're talking about, well, you know, as I mentioned before, you know, Twitter or Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, even Google as a search engine, these should be in, in a sense, public squares. These should be, I can hear all these different perspectives, but the, uh, I guess the social media engines themselves are not incentivized to do this because as I mentioned before, they ha they're incentivized to sort of keep everybody addicted to their platforms and keep everybody on their platforms. That is how they're gonna make money. That is how they're gonna keep attention. The attention becomes the currency. So they're not incentivized to actually show you a breadth of content that might make you upset, that might make you 
argue and disagree with people uh, that might make you feel as though you don't know what's true. You feel confused. You feel, I, 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 don't, I don't even know how to make sense of this stuff anymore. It's easier. It's more advantageous for them to keep it really, really, really simple and to keep giving you what you want over and over and over again because they're trying to make more money, right? That's what they're the underlying economic system of our society is designed such that everybody needs to kind of keep the bottom line growing. They need to keep, you know, their stock, their shareholders happy, right? And so that's driving this gaming, this, this addiction of getting people to get stuck on social media. So once you're left with that and you, you're, the attention is, is being held and now you have these bad algorithms, you can't just turn around and say, well, these social media companies are just, they're just flat out evil. Well, you could make an argument that they have, you know, they're not operating off of the best ethics. But at the same time, it's like our underlying economic systems are literally pushing them to take that behavior. It's pushing them to make those decisions. So it almost becomes impossible to talk about how do we improve our social media uh, sort of experience and what they're doing without having the discussion of, well, look at the underlying economic system. Look at what, look at what's driving this behavior. Look at what's driving these companies to want to make more and more money and to have more and more and more control over um, their users' attention, right? It's, it's literally a huge driving factor. So, so we have to keep that as a piece to this puzzle when we're talking about solving this challenge. Um, and of course, as our attention sort of becomes you know, enthralled in this. And as our, our, our reward centers, the, 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 you know, the relationship in our brain between social media, dopamine, and, and seeking that reward of that like, or that really, you know, crazy piece of content, or that really dramatic piece of content, or, um, you know, trying to get feedback from other people around us, as all that sort of gets hijacked, we, 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 and, and our use of technology becomes sort of very autopilot automatic, we start to get desensitized to other things around us that are suddenly become very boring. Right, and we see this with you. Look at a, a user, and they can't seem to respond to a very good, meaningful piece of content unless it has this extremely aggressive, you know, shocking headline associated with it. And on one hand, we're complaining that it's like, oh, you know, news and media has all these, you know, aggressive headlines. Yet we only respond to them. We don't respond to the simple, meaningful, well thought out content that's out there, we typically will respond to stuff that is a little bit more like a tabloid these days. And a lot of this plays into how social media is sort of hijacking our attention. Um, and then this, of course, feeds into that sense-making crisis at the end of the day, because good, high-quality stuff is not necessarily what we seek. We're just seeking whatever's the most dramatic thing. So I kind of wanted to talk about a, a few studies, a few key points here that really outline and give us some facts into what is happening on social media. So this first one is a study out of the Journal of Communication, and it showed that 75% of content is viewed for less than one minute on social media. More specifically, it shows that on average, people switch between pieces of content every 19 seconds. In this study, participants experienced a neurological high whenever they switched between content, explaining why we feel driven to keep switching and underscoring how human biology makes us vulnerable to being manipulated by attention extractive economies. So again, we have this incentive structure, which is looking to extract people's attention, right? So now the algorithms are gamed to do so. And we're producing this person ultimately at the end of the day who can't pay attention for something with something for longer than 19 seconds because we've made it so easy to just keep, oh, switching between, switching between, switching between. 
and we get a high every time we do it because we're seeking, oh, is this the thing that's going to make us feel good? Is this the thing that's going to make us feel good? So our attention uh, starts to just fall away. And the more you become, you know, offering a bit of a solution here, the more you become aware that this is what's going on and you kind of come out of this autopilot mode a little bit when you're on social media and you stop focusing on the 10 second reels or the, you know, the 15 second reels all the time and you actually sit down and watch a piece of content and start to feel like, hey, what's going on in my body? What's going on in my attention when it hits that 20, 30, 40 second mark? Why am I dying to bail out of this piece of content? Is it actually boring? Or have I just been trained that at this amount of time, I got to I got to bail. I got to get out of here because I'm seeking something new, right? And so the the becoming more present, becoming more aware is a way for us to kind of start looking at and understanding for ourselves, is this is this happening to me? Am I am I sort of, you know, being affected by this? Because at the end of the day, there's also a sense-making crisis within this idea that we're being gamed to have to switch a piece of content every 15 to 19 seconds. Because, you know, <clears throat> we're not going to be able to understand the complexity of any topic or any instance of something happening by looking at 15 to 19 seconds. Someone can take a five minute event, can pull out a 15 second clip and make a situation seem very shocking, very, you know, crazy. When if you actually looked at the whole clip, it's a completely different story. And, you know, I, I saw this way back in the day with the Covington kid. I don't know if you remember that story, but, you know, they showed this image that looked absolutely terrible. This like, you know, video of, of, of a boy, white boy standing in front of a, a native who was, you know, um, singing a song and, and banging on a drum. And it just made it look like this kid absolutely hated this guy. Media went crazy. It was all over mainstream media. And then you pull back and you say, oh, wow, hold on a second. This actually didn't happen like this at all. It's a completely different story. There's so many more details here, right? And yet, you know, so many of the top influencers, oh, look how racist people are, look at this, look at that, right? So it, it, it produced this massive cultural problem of when we get addicted to these 15 to 20 second videos and that becomes normal, and then that becomes how we're making sense of our reality through these 15 to 19 second videos, we now create a crisis where we're living off of things that didn't really happen the way that we think they did but it becomes normal to consume content that way. Another study here comes out of PLOS One. Um, it showed that three months after starting to use a smartphone, users experience a significant decrease in their mental arithmetic scores, which indicates a reduction in their attention capacity, and a significant increase in social conformity. Brain scans show that heavy users have significantly reduced neural activity in their right prefrontal cortex, a condition also seen in ADHD and linked with serious behavioral abnormalities such as impulsivity and poor attention. So what I found interesting about this is it's just talking about the smartphone, but what do people do on their smartphone for the vast majority of their time that they're on their smartphone? They're on social media. So there's certainly a, a link to social media um, as we're looking at this particular study. And again, we're talking about poor attention spans. We're talking about this impulsive uh, activity. We're, we're talking about our inability to really um, sort of make sense of things. And, and when I saw this, this question of social conformity, I had to look more deeply in the study. Like, what are they talking about with social conformity? And it, and it says, um, it leads to increased fear of social threats leading to high conformity and anxiety regarding social acceptance and approval. So people are seeing, okay, there's things going on out there that uh, within my society, within my community, and I'm, I'm afraid of not fitting into it because I won't be accepted by people. So when you look at the way people are being bullied into 
saying the right things, when people are being bullied into, let's say, wearing a mask or taking a vaccine, and their perspectives don't matter anymore because they're just being bullied. What you end up with is a whole bunch of people who may actually feel differently about something, but because of the way we're <clears throat> sort of being gamed into social conformity, we're just going along with what everybody else is saying and sort of staying quiet because there seems to be a relationship with that in how we use social media. So social media is in essence creating more of this, um, in a sense, more uh, self-righteousness along with pulling a whole bunch of other people in to the self-righteousness through this fear of not conforming uh, to culture. So kind of a couple of really fascinating details in there. Um, here's another study I wanted to quickly look at. And we know this a lot and very deeply because we saw this happen back in 2016 when algorithms started to deeply change. So this one also comes from PLOS One. Um, and it showed that anger is the emotion that travels fastest and farthest on social media compared to all other emotions. As a result, those who, get, who post angry messages will inevitably have the greatest influence and social media platforms will tend to be dominated by anger. So what I thought was interesting about this is our work since, you know, I would say 2009 to 2016 or so is, is kind of before the algorithms really changed. Um, it would thrive quite easily uh, on social media just being we have this very sort of um, neutral tone emotion, meaning we're, we're not trying to utilize emotion to hijack people's attention, right? That's what we mean with the way that we uh, produce our media and, and, and the way we have all this time is we're not trying to game people into believing what we believe by utilizing emotion, by utilizing anger. Instead, we're leaving something on the table and allowing people to explore it for themselves and explore what feelings come up for them as opposed to us trying to rile them into a particular um, you know, angry position or emotional position in general. Um, so we, we saw this entirely that, you know, um, as social media algorithms started to change and it became a lot harder to actually reach people, the amount of anger and the amount of emotional hijacking actually increased because when you have a, a, an increase in, let's say censorship and an increase in algorithms that don't want to give everybody a fair opportunity, people begin to game those systems. And when they start gaming those systems, they start utilizing emotions because that is a, a, a higher probability that you're going to hijack somebody's emotional state and consciousness so that something keeps spreading. So now by nature of the way these systems are functioning, by the way social media is functioning, they're rewarding less well thought out uh, content. They're rewarding content that is riling people up into emotions, that is spreading anger all over the place in a very uncontained way. Now, it's okay to feel angry about something that's going on in our world, and it's okay to feel an emotion in general about something that's going on in our world. But when it becomes the only emotion that people are seeing out there all the time, it starts to change our baseline into not only how often that we, we see anger and how we, how we deal with anger, but also what we're supposed to do with that anger, right? It becomes normal to just be angry all the time, right? And of course, this will burn us out. This will make it so that we don't want to communicate with each other. This, like it has a ton of effects uh, in terms of what's going to go on, um, as opposed to sort of, <clears throat> I watch a piece of content, maybe I feel a little bit of anger from what might be happening in that piece of content because it relates to a social issue that I care about. I you know, effectively process that anger, um, uh, you know, out, outside of, of, in a contained way, outside of social media. And then once I've sort of allowed that, 
what can be a, a sometimes a very destructive energy um, to to sort of be processed and move through me, I now from a more wiser and settled place can still talk about this issue on social media um, in a way that is not going to produce so much potential destruction through anger. So this would be a much healthier way of us utilizing this this sort of life energy that, that does arise within us when we do feel anger. Um, but again, going back to that quote at the beginning of this episode, we're talking about having these medieval, uh, sorry, these uh, paleolithic emotions that are being hijacked by this godlike technology. And this is what's at play here is we don't have sort of this healthy relationship with anger um, within our, ourselves and in our bodies. And we feel so often that anger is the thing that's going to change the world. We need to utilize, we need to, we need to spew our anger all over social media and, and just, you know, see what happens. I would just ask you if you still believe that to be true, as opposed to processing anger in a healthy way, look at the state of social media. Is it healthy, right? Is it, is it producing change? Is it producing good results? Or is it just people angry all over the place in, in some cases? And is that anger uniting people? Is that anger connecting people? Is that anger getting meaningful attention? Or is it just getting sort of automatic, robotic-like attention and creating more divides, more polarization? Because that's what the anger will do is it'll produce greater polarization all over the place. So even when people complain, oh, well, you know, the the role of the elite is to, you know, divide and conquer the masses. I would throw back and I'd say, by you being angry and destructive all the time on social media, are you not playing into the polarization? Are you not dividing the masses as well? Right? So again, the anger is not bad. It's about knowing how to utilize and process our anger in a healthy way and then show up to the public square and discuss in a different manner. Right? And that's kind of more so how we can approach this because again, the anger is just hijacking our our, our use of social media and the system itself is producing a reward for being angry. So not a good combination. Uh, another study here from the Proceedings of National Academy of Sciences showed that the primary force behind whether someone will share a piece of information is not its accuracy or content, but because it comes from a friend or a celebrity with whom we want to be associated. We seem more concerned with status, popularity, and establishing a trusted friends circle than with maintaining truth. Social media spaces become places where truth is downgraded. So I find this fascinating uh, for a number of different reasons, but ultimately that, again, truth is not necessarily our, our goal, um, but really that it's, it's more so I, I'm going to share something or believe something based on what celebrity might have also shared it or what my friends are kind of sharing. So we, get, we kind of keep that in-group echo chamber. I want to be part of this, even if I don't want to question what is actually being said more deeply. And, you know, this is obviously something we've, we've dealt with a lot over the years because it seems like no matter what we put out in terms of content, we, we seem to be upsetting some group of people within our audience, right? Um, which is fascinating because it's like, because we're trying to be as objective as we can, right? Um, one day you're you're saying something that you're you know some group of your audience really really likes because they agree with it and then because you're now sharing a bit of the other side you know that same group of the audience are now going to be pissed off because you know you're, you're you're challenging the perspective it's not as black and white you're you're starting to enter in nuance and seeking the truth on something and that actually produces a situation where it's like well hold on I I don't even know if I want to follow you anymore I don't even know if I agree with what you're saying anymore and. A lot of times, if we're not aware of what's playing out there, we actually just start sticking to whatever our audience agrees with because it's easier for us to keep our friends and to keep um, you know, the people around us who we agree with, keep an audience of who we agree with. Um, and in general, what this study is showing is that we're kind of 
taking notice from what the crowd is doing or what a popular celebrity is doing. And if, unless we have come to hate them for some reason, usually because our own friend circle or our own, you know, celebrity circle that we listen to hates that person over there, then we start hating that person over there without even really understanding why, whatever, without even really questioning what is the truth in this situation here. Um, so again, this idea of truth seeking is being thrown out the window because the truth doesn't matter as much as agreeing with whatever majority we want to associate ourselves with. And when you start seeing the amount of celebrities, the amount of you know really high level comedians, really high level individuals that were not in news and media, but were in movies or in music or in all these different things. And now these celebrities are making their way into the news and information landscape. What starts to happen is a whole other layer of this where people are now um, having a much a much harder time really navigating what's true and what's not because now their favorite celebrity might be talking about things that um, kind of agree with what their ears are already used to hearing. So it, this makes this, this challenge um, even more difficult. But at the end of the day, good content, really good objective research is not necessarily what is rewarded on social media these days. What's rewarded is a celebrity voice, a, you know, very powerful, uh, you know, somebody who's, who's seen by a lot of people as, Hey, this guy always has it right. Or this group of people always has it right. Or what our immediate friend circle uh, is saying. And so obviously there's a problem here with, with general sense making, um, in a big way. And of course it's changing our social behaviors, uh, uh, pretty much as a whole. So I hope that kind of gives a little bit of an indication as to some various factors at play. Of course, there's many, many more factors, right? We also know that social media in general is being hijacked by, uh, you know, government agencies where they're collaborating to censor and to control narratives, even in the West, right? We saw that recently uh, in the United States where, you know, their uh, number of the um, Department of Homeland Security was meeting with a number of different social media, um, uh, I guess, companies to control narratives, right? And so that's a whole other issue to this. But but the general point is that the more sort of pieces to this puzzle that we can begin to understand that are playing out, the more we can become aware with, uh, within ourselves, the more we're gonna have a clearer understanding of how to approach this and potentially uh, fix some of these challenges um, because we can't be hijacked as easily when we are more embodied, when we are more aware. When you make somebody aware of a magic trick, for example, as somebody who's done you know, a lot of magic uh, throughout the course of my life, um, when, so, when you teach somebody the magic trick, you know, they no longer see the magic. It's, it's now like they know exactly what to look for. And the more sleight of hand you learn, the more pieces of deception that you learn, the, less, the more you're able to, to, to determine what's going on in any magic trick right? So you're, as a magician, you're, you're, you're increasing your ability to understand where the deception is and it actually ruins magic for you, right? And this same thing is happening. The more you become aware of what, how you're being gamed by social media, of how you're being gamed by government narratives, of how you're being gamed by, you know, even just news sources in general and the way people talk about things, the more you realize how to become embodied and how to, to really pay attention to, um, you know, understanding people's biases or where they're coming from, the more you're going to have a clearer understanding of, of not being sucked in or manipulated by uh, these different pieces and being able to truth seek uh, and, and make sense of what's going on around us a lot better. So that's really what the awareness will do. Um, but in essence, sort of to wrap this up a little bit, um, I just want to finalize with a little bit of discussion on desensitization and uh, sort of this cultural decline. If 
all of these things are happening and we're losing our attention span and we're you know unable to sort of find interest in things unless they are very flashy look at how a lot of youtube videos are edited somebody will say something for 10 seconds and then there'll be a cut sometimes it's five seconds and there'll be a cut and you just have these cuts all the time cuts 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 and these cuts keep pulling our attention back in over and over and over again a lot of flashy things going on um you know sometimes the cut will be moved backwards then move forwards and then you know you're just your 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 eyes are always kind of having to readjust and your attention is always being regathered and you're never really able to get deep into what this person is saying but you stay watching the piece of content because it is keeping you in this sort of lulled state of attention not necessarily really pay attention to what's going on so what this does is it hijacks our our attention span but doesn't necessarily give us the depth of understanding that we would want from a piece of content. Um, and most videos on social media these days are like this, right? Even on TikTok, like oh, these videos, this is how it functions. So it's training our brain to not be able to pay attention to something that is longer. So if you get into a five minute video where it's not constant cuts all the time and it's just somebody talking, you get bored, not because you're actually bored, but because your brain is telling you, well, this is boring because these other things over here were a lot flashier right? So we become desensitized to just normal life, right? When you walk around nature, when you walk around, you know, life in general, there's not cuts going on. There's not flashiness going on. Um, you orient with your reality, really look around the room. It's a beautiful thing that we've come to see as something that is, ah, this is boring. There's nothing going on here, right? Because we become so desensitized. And this reminds me of a beautiful scene in a movie called Peaceful Warrior, which is based on a book and in the scene, the guy, he, you know, he looks around this park um, and, his, and he, his mentor says, you know, do you see it or whatever? And he's like, what? I don't see anything. There's nothing going on. Meanwhile, there's like people playing and people doing different things and the birds are chirping, whatever. And then, the, the, you know, the, his mentor basically grabs his head and it, it sort of sends him into this like hyper present state of seeing all the very minor details, the beauty of, of really what's happening in his environment, the small, you know, bug moving, you know, up a leaf or, or something like that, like all these tiny details. And then at the end of it, he goes, there's never nothing going on. <clears throat> and the idea here is that we have become so desensitized to real life that we can't see anymore what really is happening in our reality, both on social media as well as just in our, our natural environment around us. We've, we've become so entrained to see filters and these fast cuts and these five second clips and these 10. And if we're not, if, if something we're watching doesn't make us laugh, then it's not worth watching, right? We've, we've become gamed. We've become desensitized by social media in such a big way that we're missing out on the quality of life. We're missing out on the qualities that are in the tiny little, little things. We can't even read a book as easily anymore on average as people without feeling, well, well this, is, this practice is boring. This, this particular thing I'm doing is boring, right? Um, so we, we have to kind of look at that because ultimately what this is doing is it's leading to a cultural decline, right? If, we're, if our attention span is going, if our ability to think more deeply about things is going, if our ability to watch a 15-minute video is dying, if our ability to sit and pay attention to something that isn't an action movie, for example, over and over and over again, then we're starting to miss out on the beauty and the sacredness and the spirit and the soul of what's happening in our reality. And that is going to create a decline in our culture. Because just like social media rewards flashy, not necessarily good behavior and good content, 
that's then what we're going to start to reward out in our regular world. So artists who produce beautiful works um, that don't get endorsed by some celebrity won't be appreciated. Whereas you can have a piece of art that didn't require that, you know, level of mastery that is endorsed by some celebrity just because and everyone's going to love it because they were told to do so and we wouldn't know the difference between the depth and the skill and the talent involved and the emotion involved in the art because we're desensitized from that level of 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 depth and that level of, of sort of beauty and spirit and soul so there's a deep relationship between this social media hijacking and the general cultural decline that we're seeing around us and the way out of it is going back to it becoming aware of this stuff, becoming embodied again, becoming, you know, developing a healthier relationship with social media so that we can not only make sense of our reality better, as we discussed previously in the episode, but that we can appreciate life and what's really going on in a way that that brings back that sacredness, that soul and that spirit um, in a much more deep way. And uh, before I cap this off, I just want to say one more time, November 28th, 2022, I'm going to be relaunching the five days of you challenge, which is a little bit of an introduction into some practices that will help us sort of start to do this, just detach a little bit from the nature of, of this social media hijacking and get into a more embodied, more present state, more self-aware state. So we can almost start learning the tricks behind the magic so that the, that the magic itself, um, and I'm using a, a an analogy here that, that makes it seem like we're not going to see the magic in, in life anymore. But in essence, we're actually going to see the magic in life, but we're going to be more aware of the deception and the manipulate manipulation, um, which is what it's all about at the end of the day. So I hope there's some clarity here in terms of what I'm trying to talk about with regards to social media and how it plays into this overall predicament we've been talking about uh, over the last few episodes. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in. It's been great to hear from you guys about the relaunch of this uh, podcast, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Well, that's it. That's all. I hope you enjoyed the show. As always, I want to thank the members of the Explore Lounge who are helping us to continue doing this work. If you want to support this podcast and all of the work we do here at the Pulse and Collective Evolution, consider becoming a member of our Explore Lounge. As a member, you get access to exclusive video content. You can watch all of these episodes ad-free, and you get access to our private social network where you can discuss and learn about many topics with a like-minded community of changemakers. It's truly an incredible place to be, not just for the benefits that you get, but you're directly supporting our dedicated team here at Collective Evolution and The Pulse. Visit explorelounge.one, that's dot O-N-E, to learn more.